Well, it is no secret most people hate change, and churches hate change too. And I was reminded of that fact shortly after my ordination interview when we got a little text message to all the people who'd been approved for ordination, and it said, just remember, you followed the path to ordination so you could change the world. But don't change the church bulletin or you'll get fired. <laughs> uh, it's true. We don't like change. The status quo is comfortable. We don't like it when other people want us to change. Because change demands much more of us than just staying where we are. But God didn't save us to be stuck where we are. He saved us for something better and to reach that better, that better place. We're required to change. It reminds me of a story I read about a man in an airport. You can look this story up online. You'll see it's true. It took place in 1999. Actually, it started in 1988. The gentleman was a political refugee from Iran, and he left Iran and went to Belgium seeking status and asylum. He got a passport, and he traveled to Paris, France. His ultimate hope was to travel to Great Britain because his mother was a nurse who, served in, who had served in Iran, and she was of Scottish descent. Well, between France, the airport in France, and the airport in England, he lost his passport. And they would not let him stay in Great Britain, so they returned him to France, where because he had entered legally, he was allowed to stay, but he wasn't allowed to leave the airport. True story. Uh, when I get back to my notes, I'll tell you his name. You can look it up. For 11 years, an attorney, an immigration attorney, helped him and sought to help him become a, a legal resident of France so that he could leave the airport. And finally, one glorious day, the courts ruled that he could be free from the airport and move about in France and live his life there. In the intervening 11 years that he had lived in that airport, he bathed himself in the restrooms, periodically washed a change of clothes in the sinks. He got to know all the airport employees. They gave him food vouchers. He had a little table on a, uh, by a bench in the airport. And the day came that he was allowed to leave, and he made a decision to continue to live the life he was living in the airport. And they didn't make him leave. And he didn't leave until he became so sick that he had to go to a hospital some 10 years later. You see, the airport, with all of its limitations, had become a comfortable and safe place for him, and he didn't want to venture out into the world. But the truth is, we're a lot like him. We are content to stay in our limited existence, listening to what the world says, Afraid to make the changes necessary to receive a life much more fulfilling and much more abundant, a life in Christ. But you see, God doesn't want us to be like that guy. He doesn't want us to be stuck in one place. He wants us to brave 
that big world that he offers to us by living in Christ, but to do that, we have to change. And that brings us to our text today. Our text today is a familiar story. It's the story of Jesus taking a few of his disciples to the mountain where they witness the transfiguration. But before we get to that, it's important to know what has taken place in the text in Luke chapter 9 just before that. Throughout Luke chapter 9, people are trying to figure out who is this man, Jesus. In verse 9, Herod asks the question, Who is this man? Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say I am? And his disciples respond saying, they say that you're a rabbi, a prophet, a teacher. And then Peter says, you are the Messiah, the God. For a brief moment, Peter got it. But he didn't retain that understanding for long because it wasn't too far down the road that he would deny Jesus and pretend not to know Jesus, and certainly if Peter believed with his whole heart that Jesus was the Messiah, he wouldn't have done that. Earlier in Luke uh, chapter 9, Jesus taught the disciples some important things for all disciples to understand, including us. He was teaching them that they must take up their cross and follow him, but they didn't understand what that meant. And shortly after that conversation, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him And this is how Luke describes the story of the transformation. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So God definitively and decisively answered the question for us, who is Jesus? Is God's son, God's chosen? And we are to listen to him. You see, change is part of God's plan to redeem us. The transfiguration, the transfiguration story reminds us of an Exodus theme. We see Moses the leader chosen by God to take and enslave people and free them, bring them out of a place that was comfortable to a degree and to go into the wilderness. And we know from the story that periodically the people complained, why did you bring us out of Egypt? You know, at least there we had stuff to eat. And then there was Elijah who defeated the prophets of Baal, freed God's chosen people from this culture of worshiping 
a pagan god. And then there was Jesus, who came to us to offer final deliverance over sin and death. There was continuity from Moses to Elijah to Jesus, but it was more than a continuance. Jesus' appearance with Moses and Elijah reminds us that he came to fulfill the law represented by Moses and to fulfill the word of the prophets represented by Elijah. But God spoke that day. We call that when God speaks in a voice that we can hear, a theophany. And he said words that echoed what we learned when Jesus was baptized. This is my son whom I have chosen. But this time, he added an instruction for those who listened then and for those who listen today. And that instruction was, listen to him. Not listen just with your ears, but listen as in following his instruction. After the, after the transfiguration, Luke chapter 9 through 19 documents a time of teaching and learning for the disciples when they were changed, when they learned how to go out and be in ministry, when they learned how to follow Jesus, when they began to understand better who he was. So what does Jesus' transfiguration, clearly he was changed for a moment in the eyes of his disciples, what does that have to do with God changing us? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at the response of the disciples to seeing the transfigured Jesus. What did they do? First, they were afraid and they were awestruck. They were experiencing one of those spiritual mountaintop experiences that we all long for. But immediately, Peter, the one who always, impulsive Peter, has to act, says, Oh, Lord, it's great that we're here. Let us build shelters. Let us build three shelters. And in that statement, Peter demonstrates something that we sometimes demonstrate as well. He wanted to build shelters so Elijah and Moses and Jesus could stay there. He wanted to freeze that mountaintop moment experience. He didn't want it to stop. But he made a mistake, and that's why Luke said, but Peter didn't understand. Peter was mistaken. Jesus was not one among equals. Jesus was one, the one. And Peter could not freeze that moment. He had to walk down the mountain with the others. They had to face what was ahead. They had to prepare their hearts to be changed. You see, when God gives us those mountaintop moments, maybe it's our conversion experience, maybe it's one of sometime during worship one day when you really feel God's presence surrounding you, God answers a prayer, answers a question, that's not the end of it. God's going to call you to go through another trial and another tribulation so you too can grow and draw closer to him and be changed. God said, listen to him. He meant more than listen with our ears. He meant listen with our hearts, comply with his commands, take up our crosses and follow him. He meant proclaim the good news and love our neighbors, all of our neighbors. 
You know, this reminds me of a very recent story, an experience I had that I'm going to share with you. It's kind of funny, but not really. <laughs> when you go for your ordination interview, the thing everybody stresses about is when you get to the part of the interview where they ask you the theology questions. You spend weeks preparing for that one question you don't want to hear. Why is there evil in the world if it was created by God and God is good? The Odyssey. Or the question, name the different theories of atonement, how Jesus saved us from the cross, and tell us which one of the six is right and why. So it came time for the theology question, and what did they ask me? They asked me, explain what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I wanted to go, really? <laughs> That's the question? I know that one. <laughs> and the words came pouring out. Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean? It means he is the ruler of my heart and I'm governed by what he tells me to do. He is the ruler of my church and we will be governed by his lordship in our missions and our ministry. He is the Lord of society, even when society gets everything wrong. He is the Lord of the universe. And as I spoke these words, the Holy Spirit does what he sometimes does. He takes a pen and he pricked my balloon because these right words were pouring out of me. And all of a sudden I realized, man, you sure do know how to talk the talk. You are giving the textbook answer. You're going to be fine with this interview and you are not doing what you are talking about. Anybody else? Feel their balloon going poof? My conscience was stabbed because on my worst days, I'm still wrong-minded, wrong-hearted, wrong-handed, I don't always live by the words I preach, and that's why I think I'm preaching this sermon today. When you prepare a sermon that's about allowing God, cooperating with God to help you change, God works on you while you work. Friends, Jesus is our Lord. That was made evident to Peter and James and John that day on the mountain when they saw the transfiguration. But Jesus, being our Lord, well, you know, we like the part where we say, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and he is. But Jesus is not our buddy. He's not our pal. He's not that kind of friend. He calls us to take up our crosses and to follow him where he will walk with us and guide us and his spirit will be with us. But he demands, he demands that we change. What does it mean to be changed? It means allowing God to redirect our hearts, our minds, and our resulting actions. He calls upon us to repent and be made new. And I'm here to tell you, repentance without change is not repentance at all. The word means changing direction. We are transformed 
when we heed the words and believe the words that God spoke from the cloud that day so long ago. He is my son. We need to believe that. I have chosen him. For what purpose? To redeem you and redeem me. But most of all, listen to him. Listen to him. Change means following Jesus in word and deed. Doing what he said to do, not what the world rewards. Walking with Jesus means reassessing our priorities and making choices between what the world demands and what Jesus demands. It means taking action based on a difficult new perspective that makes us feel alone sometimes. It's a world where spouses treat each other with mutual love and respect and honor the covenant of their marriage. We are called as parents and children to love and honor one another from early in our lives when the parent nurtures the helpless infant till near the end of our lives when roles sometimes reverse and the child nurtures the beloved but aging parent. We're called to honor the sanctity of life, not only when talking about the unborn, but when talking about the living. And we honor the sanctity of lives being lived when we act to alleviate suffering by demanding that laws are created that protect vulnerable people by demanding change from power that corrupts and the gap between the haves and the have-nots increases, by advocating for those who are treated unjustly, who have no voice, who are victims of poverty, illiteracy, racism, and sexism. It's tough to do in the world that we live in. Listening to Jesus means not listening to the world not listening to political power, not listening to nationalistic power, and I am not talking, before anybody gets themselves in an uproar here, I am not talking about a particular leader or a particular party because, frankly, no matter who the worldly leader or party or government is, they are never the equivalent of what Jesus would call us to do. This is not about today, this is about all times, for all people, in all places. We can't follow our government leaders, our community leaders, our national leaders, Monday through Saturday, and follow Jesus on Sunday morning. That just isn't good enough. During this message series, we've been hearing about unchanging truths. One of those unchanging truths is that God wants us to change. He wants us to be holy, as the scripture says, because God is holy. He wants us to listen to Jesus, as the words of this morning's text tell us. He calls upon us to take up our cross and follow the one who came for us. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, for whom this church is named, 
understood this and expressed it beautifully in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It is one of my very favorite scriptures. And I read it on those days when I'm comfortable and I don't want to change. Some of you who are my Facebook friends saw that I posted it this week on Facebook because preparing this message reminded me of these verses. This is what Paul wrote. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we change, we offer ourselves sacrificially. We stop conforming to the demands of the world and instead allow God to transform our minds. And we have a role in that process. God gave us free will and we have to choose to cooperate in that renewing of our minds. We learn how to understand and act in accordance with his will. That's what God wants and that, my friends, is an unchanging truth. I began this message today with a story about a guy in an airport. Paris, France, the European countryside, was available to him. A wide open place to live and explore. But he chose to stay where he was. Let's not be like him. There is so much more that we can do and see and know and experience if we allow God to transform our hearts. When we gather for worship, our purpose is to glorify and praise God. It's to grow in our faith by hearing God's word and hearing about opportunities to serve. We come here to be equipped to become better disciples. We come here because this that we do together on Sunday is part of helping us change. And one of the ways that we change is by receiving the spiritual nourishment of communion.